It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is CEO Ed Island. Ed serves as Vital Care Inc.'s Chief Executive Officer, and he leads the company with a vision of caring about every patient with an understanding that what they do is truly vital. Dr. Island received his Pharma D from the University of Texas, and he obtained his MBA from Auburn University. Ed Island, welcome into the corner office. Thank you for including me, Brian. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. I'm looking so forward to hearing your story, and we like to get started a little bit with the early years, and maybe you can just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I, I grew up in a small town in North Louisiana. Um, I felt like I had strong family support from my dad, my, my, my mom, and then I have a sister that's uh, uh, five years older. Um, we had an extended family that, that lived... Uh, fairly close to us, so um, very blessed to have had a, um, a strong upbringing, and, um, and uh, you know, North Louisiana was a great place to, to, to grow up. Tell me about your parents and, you know, kind of their background, uh, uh, how they influenced your growing up in particular. Sure. Well, both had strong work ethics. Uh, my dad is a dentist by, by trade, and, and he also um, does some farming, um, farms corn, cotton, and and soybeans. Uh, my mother was a was a teacher, but oh. then uh, later in her career went back and became certified as a uh, nursing home administrator, and actually worked as a nursing home administrator um, for quite some time as part of a, a group of nursing homes owned by her family. So, right. um, and my sister's actually a um, fifth grade school teacher. Now she was younger or older, your sister. Yeah. Uh, she was older. Older, she, got it. She's five years older. Yeah, got it. And so was she pretty involved in your upbringing as well, uh, doing the babysitting chores, those types of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> she, uh, she and I still um, stay in touch frequently and uh, are really close. So I'm, I'm pleased to, to to have her as a sister and to, to still be, um, you know, close to her. And she, she her husband and, and niece are definitely part of my wife and myself, our life. So it, nice. it, it's really a nice, nice thing. Tell me about some of the influences that your older sis, as well as your mom and dad, had on you growing up. Or what are some of those earlier memories or formative memories you have? Well, we're always a close family. Um, you know, made an effort to spend time together. So, you know, had organized. Um, my, my mother originally was a home ec major, so she was a really good cook. Yeah. Had organized. Um, lunches and, 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 and suppers. And so I think that was good just to kind of have that foundation. Um, 
and my parents went to St. David's Episcopal Church in Rabel, Louisiana, and so they instilled that in my sister and myself, you know, from an early age, so that was, you know, foundational and, and really important, and it's been a, a big part of my life, um, you know, going forward. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there was there was good structure, um, uh, just a, a ton of support, and, and so it was, um, you know, it was, it was always, and I was always really proud of my parents, you know, who, who they were right. in the community, who they were among their peers, um, how they conducted themselves. So um, I, I can say I was, I was very fortunate yeah. in that aspect, for sure. Cool. How about um, any other early influencers, you know, the, the, the who or the what, uh, you know, any particular sports or teachers that had an impact on some of those early years? Oh, absolutely. I, I played um, all the sports I could. I went to a small private school, and so I was able to participate in football and basketball and baseball. And, and you know, you realize early on that you're not the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but I played in football, played quarterback and free safety, and so I was able to participate and learn um, a team approach and, and to realize that, you know, it takes um, all included to be successful towards sure. working towards common goals and, and, and achieving those. And so, um, you know, I, I really had some, some strong you know, childhood memories of, of competing in sports, and, and that played into a lot of my, my work life um, with regard to just how I go about um, setting a goal and, and, and working the steps to, to achieve it. Right. What about school? Were you a good student, Ed? Um, I felt like I was a, a good student. I, I, I really developed the skill to learn how to study and apply myself around my sophomore, junior year in high school, and that um, worked out well for college. Um, I went to undergrad and received a BS in pharmacy um, yeah. from NLU in, in Monroe, Louisiana, and then went on to get my doctorate at University of Texas. And so it was foundational to start back in high school. As I worked through the first professional school and worked on the postgraduate training, it was beneficial to have um, had that that understanding of, of what it takes to study and to apply yourself. And it was not always natural, and it was it was uncomfortable, and I was I was more at shit times being an athlete, but yeah. uh, but it was uh, fortunate because again I get support from from my from my teachers, I get support from from my from my family, and so um, overall, yes, I, I mean my my grades uh, were good. Yeah. What about outside of class? Were you involved in music, theater, you know, uh, school politics, anything of that ilk? Uh, yes, did student council and involved in, in, in several different sports, um, you know, throughout high school, junior high and high school. Um, you know, as far as uh, influential things, I always, always had a job during the summer, um, always kept kept busy outside the school year. Um, and and so um, definitely, definitely stayed, in, stayed involved. And, and as far as you know, influences go. I, I'm a pharmacist by training, so basically, there were several pharmacists in the small community where I grew up, um, and and they were influential. Just kind of saw I saw how they conducted their business, who they were in the community, what sure. they did, that entrepreneurship nature, and it intrigued me. And so I, I that's why I went into pharmacy. Now, as I went through my education, I started realizing that there's other things more to pharmacy um, than what I was just exposed to initially. But um, it it was it was the beginning of getting into a career that I had a lot of different options. What about entrepreneurial things uh, when you were younger? Any of those were you involved with in an early age? Um, bag groceries, um, 
uh, certain summers as I was uh, growing up, and I always enjoyed working around the farm, around the, the row crops, and um, getting involved, just being outside. And, and really, a lot of that was influential because it, it taught me what I wanted to do as I got older, but it also taught me what I, what I didn't want to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I always tried to have a job to have a little um, extra money available to the things I like to do. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I remember uh, thinking that, you know, I really wanted to go into banking. You know, that would be a great career. And I like money. You know, this is high school thinking, right? And, uh, you know, let me, let, let me give something a try. And I, I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year, might have been sophomore and junior, I did a Bank of America internship in the Bay Area. And Apple was one of their clients. And this was back when Apple was private. So you think, wow, what a terrific opportunity. I hated it. <laughs> you know, it could have been the most boring thing I could have done, Ed. And, you know, like you said, sometimes at an early age, and I think kids tend to forget this. It's not only figuring out what you like to do. Sometimes the value, most valuable lessons are figuring out those things you don't want to do. And, you know, kind of crossing those lines. I think that's a, yeah. that's a wonderful thought. And it was reiterated further in my career when I was doing my, my residency training um, at Dolly Murphy VA University Hospital in San Antonio. And even before that, during farm D rotations, you, you're on certain rotations, uh, you know, addressing certain patient population needs, and you figure out what your strength is and what right. <laughs> where, right. where you do not have much strength. And so it was literally a process of elimination, and, and it was obvious uh, where I wanted to progress um, after receiving that training. So, Well, it sounded like, you know, going to college was a foregone conclusion, you know, with both your parents being professionals. Uh, and studying pharma sounds like it was a predetermined path as well. Um, were there other influences in terms of deciding what you'd study in college uh, at the undergraduate level? There, there were. I, um, I was always um, close friends with, with uh, a guy down the street. His dad was a pharmacist. And anytime I would come in their home, they would he would stand up, shake my hand, acknowledge, hmm. acknowledge me. I could tell he was just uh, generally happy by nature, and, and, and he had a um, you know, good family life. And so I always, um, you know, you look at that when you're young and, and you aspire for something similar. So it really wasn't about the career so much. I think it's just his personality as I, yeah. as I know him currently now. But uh, those things are influential. And so I think that um, it started, it began that path. And the, it, it was, um, you know, it's a prayerful thought. But, but as, I, as I was thinking about what I wanted to consider, you know, you're talking about banking. I had a thought about accounting and <laughs> I thought about pharmacy. And, and uh, pharmacy school was just, uh, more intriguing, and so that's what I I started down that path, and it and it's worked out. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, uh, did you go right on to achieve your master's and in, in doctorate uh, after undergrad, or was there some time that you worked in between? Um, I, I actually I, I finished my doctorate right after I got my um, my pharmacy license, got and it. then I went on to do uh, postgraduate training to get my doctorate in pharmacy and uh, residency, but. Later, I guess it was six years later, I went back and got my um, my MBA, and so wow. so there's all throughout my. You, know, <laughs> you spent a lot of time studying, Ed. Learning, I tried to try to get the most out of it, and and I realized in pharmacy there was the clinical patient care aspect, but I understand I understood the business side of pharmacy and started gravitating towards that, and um, and really. The reason I'm, I serve in this capacity now is because I, I like the medication piece, the patient care piece, but also I like the, the business of right. pharmacy and pharmacy practice. What What was that kind of first time or first full time job that you had once you finished your studies? Would that have been after MBA school, or was there a, a well, period? I was actually, no, I was I was actually um, 
a um, clinical pharmacy and business supervisor when I went back to MBA school. My first real job um, as a practicing pharmacist was at Warm Springs Rehabilitation Hospital, which was a small hospital, but you were the only pharmacist there. So I worked with a lot of ortho residents, and so that was that was um, you know very gratifying. Um, also, I, I worked part time at Caremark Mail Order just to see what. Uh, kind of a retail mail order business mm-hmm. was was like, and mm-hmm. and it was considered employment because I was paid a salary when I was at the Audie Murphy VA and University Hospital. So, you know, early in my career, I had you know pieced together several different jobs during my training, and then I spent 13 years at uh, Huntsville Hospital in North right. Alabama, which is the um, nine bed regional referral center before coming to. Got it. So looking at that period, you know, what are some of the earliest leadership lessons you learned from from bosses and mentors? And, you know, kind of like that question around learning what you like and what you don't like. Uh, I'm sure you had uh, bosses and mentors where you saw behavior and you said, you know, that's not quite right. <laughs> and learned lessons from there, too. So no, no, need, no names are needed to be mentioned, but I'd love to hear from you, you know, maybe positive as well as negative things you might have learned early on. Sure, Brian. Um, you know, I, I think of a lot of it was, you know, truly a title doesn't grant respect. So, yeah. I mean, how do you treat your, your co-workers? How do you treat your team members? Um, I, I learned only early on, too, that, um, you know, if you don't want to be criticized, don't say anything, don't mm. do anything, and don't be anything. That it's just in the, in the business world that will, people will be critical, and you have to understand that and, and, and keep your head up. And, again, I kind of revert back to our earlier conversation about the fact that sports were instrumental yeah. in that and realizing, you know, what defeat looks like, and how do you accept it, and how do you move forward, and then what victory looks like, and how do you perform, and how do you conduct yourself, um, you know, when you're successful. So, um, you know, again, I was I was very fortunate to be around some extremely good leaders. So I mm-hmm. I, I really learned from from all of them, and and really the way I can give back is take the best of their skills and try to integrate that into my day to day practice. Right. Do you remember the first time you started managing people at? Um, I do. I, it was most distinctly began um, managing residents uh, mm-hmm. within a pharmacy program. So they had finished pharmacy school, postgraduate year one. They had their first job, and, and I was their boss. So um, it was the, the day-to-day activity of, of having a, a group of people. It's kind of like a troops coming to you and asking, you know, now how are we going to divide and conquer? You know, how are we going to space out and help as many patients as we can? So just kind of realizing that it wasn't about me. And, and, you know, I could be getting ready for work and thinking of, of how I was going to plan my day and, and what I was going to be done to be productive. But I had to realize early on that in that capacity uh, that I was serving, that um, when I showed up at work, the first thing I need to make sure is that everybody around me knew what, what their goals were so and what sure. they were going to try to accomplish as a team. So sure. that was my first experience. And then I went on to manage uh pharmacists and, and technicians. And so. uh, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, maybe how your leadership style evolved over that time. Were there, were there specific things that, you know, you learned from those uh, direct management experiences and, and uh, you know, kind of the, the, the working with people? And again, you know, good and bad behaviors are, are you know, are always good to hear. You know, um, I, I really have always going after the philosophy or, or kind of conducting myself to look at those the, the, the characteristics of being humble, hungry, smart. Mm-hmm. And so um, and, and I, so I, I find myself, and, um, and it's something that you know, Patrick Lencioni um, talks 
about humble, hungry, smart oh, yeah. in his book, but just having humility, um, you know, not having to be pushed, but be you know, self-directed and self-motivated, and then uh, smart just being more emotional, you know, have emotional intelligence, um, realize how your comments can impact others. Sure. Um, th- those have always been kind of the pillars of what I've um, held myself to a standard and also the people that I that I partner with to, to just, um, you know, assess assess yourself. Are you being humble? Are you being hungry? And are you being smart? You know, and, and, and I've seen in my career and talking about learning from others is that I, I've gravitated towards, um, you know, in a leadership role, I, I, I typically hire the personality and I teach the skill right. because I feel like so much of the personality is what um, integrates culture. And, and again, those, mm. those culture and the characteristics of being humble, hungry, smart are, are, are able to be identified during, oftentimes during, you know, meeting people and, and bringing them into your operation. And then that, and then at that point, definitely want them to have um, expertise and a skill, but that comes after all the other parts are in place. Right. Now, you've been at Vital Care, what, about six, seven years now? How long have you been in place? Um, five years. Five years. Five years. Got it. And uh, how big is your team now in total? So we have, at the at the corporate office, we have about 85 right. um, individuals. We have, um, throughout our Vital Care network, though, we, we have over 60 pharmacies in two dozen states. Wow. So um, literally, of, of, of everybody in Vital Care, there's, there's probably... Five six hundred people, yeah. so it's um, it's a lot to say. Great, yeah, big organization. It's, yeah. it's been a lot of fun, and, and again, um, our franchise pharmacies do a tremendous job, and, and, and our corporate office supports them well to take care of patients. Because you know, as I say, what, what we do is truly vital to the patient care. Yeah. And you're multi-state, right? You're throughout the southeast. We are. So we're yeah. in um, twenty-four states. Primarily yeah. concentrated in the southeast. So right. That's correct. Yeah. How do you decide when it's time to micromanage uh, or stay out of the way of the people uh, you know in your organization? You know, I try to follow my instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, I do engage a weekly one-on-one meeting with um, our leadership team members, yeah. and um, and I also do a brainstorming sessions, which are like skip level um, discussions. With, with team members, but I, I really just follow follow instinct there. I feel like it's important to be able to delegate. I really trust the people that are around me, and I, I structure it as such so that I have that, um, you know, the ability to, to, to delegate and feel like that, that the job will get done, and, and I can communicate effectively with the individual to, to um, make sure that they understand what, what our goals are. So um, I, I would just say that it, it's... Um, it's something that the, the, the weekly one-on-one is important because that's, that's a routine and that gives space time for um, each of us to have, have discussion and to plan. And I can figure out, you know, I really want individuals to be able to express, you know, what they think is important and be able to put in motion the processes they feel are most valuable for organization. Right. And so it gives me a chance to, to vet that out and, and understand what they're doing. But, for the, for the most part, make them allow them to have their brand, you know, placed on what they're trying to accomplish. And how big is your executive team? And do you have kind of the standard, uh, you know, organization by fu- function, disciplinary function? We do. Yeah. We we have um, eight people on on our executive team, and, and we're divided up into different departments, uh, right. represented by you know, 
operations, franchise development, financial services, revenue cycle, accounting, human resources, right. um, information technology. So it's a, it's a typical uh, org chart, typical structure, right. with, with you know compared to most corporate offices. Ed, share your thoughts about building a company culture. A lot of building a company culture is um, just just to be real with people. I, I'm I'm someone that I, I like metrics, so I always use the frame use the phrase you know, measure not, improve not. And so what I what I strive to always do is is to set forth goals and to explain the why of what we're doing mm. um, to to really um, you know as far as culture to to set up a uh, a community, you know, to, to make it a career and, and to make sure that people feel like they, they have a purpose. And so mm-hmm. I, I've always felt that um, we've got 10 goals at Vital Care um, that, that we all see um, real time. Uh, they're actually displayed on a TV on our blue mm-hmm. wall, our Vital Care wall. We also have them on the internet, so you can look at them anytime. And so they're updated um, every second of the day. And, and basically, it's one of those situations where that, that those are and the things that, that got us. But still, when you start talking about culture, you got to go back to those three characteristics I mentioned earlier, of being humble, being hungry, mm-hmm. and being smart. And so um, just evaluating our team and making sure that um, we're taking care of those things. Yeah, you know, yeah. Treating really people appropriately, and, and you know, we're giving people respect, and and we're, we're explaining to them what, what we do as a company and how we're how we do it and, and the integrity in which we, we have. So, um, but that's that's really how I've, I've gone about building a positive culture of vital care. What would you say is most unusual or, or perhaps unique about uh, the vital care culture? The, what we do, oftentimes I say it, we do things that people don't want to do or don't know how to do. Mm. So we're somewhat behind the scenes. We, we provide the three S's of sales, service, and support. So, so we sell franchises, we service franchises, we support franchises. But several people on our team really um, do not, maybe do not ever meet a patient, and but they are serving as advocates to get the patient's authorization right, approved right. or to help them obtain medication. So, I think the unique uh, part of that culture is that we we're helping people, like I said, in, in 24 states that sometimes don't know we exist. But but we're we're helping them obtain their medication prescribed by their physician. Well, it could be and life and death, that, right? Um, I mean, you know, it's possible. yeah, it's life and death sometimes. I mean, you're right up there on sure. the front line. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And do people embrace that? Do you know, do people understand that throughout the organization? How important it is that you know that customer service uh, can be because you know, I mean, selling cereal <laughs> or milk, you know, is a very different uh, arrangement than than being there with their with their life uh, preserving prescriptions. They, they take a tremendous amount of pride in it, yeah, and that's yeah. where I feel like that our team members excel, that, you know, um, you know, having humility and realizing that, you know, they, they might not be known, but they can be advocates for the patient, you know, being being hungry enough to go in and working with insurance companies and, and prescribers and referral sources, you know, and then realizing that um, you know, during these exchanges to just um, always work to be the bigger person and, and, and be polite and and gracious yeah. and, and um, you know, kind. What do you look for, Ed, when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? You know, typically, when when I 
meet with someone about coming on board, I, I, I often want to know if they've ever had a bad job. Uh, because I think <laughs> right. that until somebody's had a bad job, they don't know what a good job looks like. You know, and, and so it, it seems overly simplistic, Brad, I know, but, you know, That's I, a good I question. just, um, at, at times, you know, um, I feel like that many people can get out of their training and, and just have never experienced a, a difficult or challenging job. And so I feel like some of our um, most positive and, and productive employees are those that, that probably had a bad experience at some point in their career. So I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I definitely look at that. I, I also look to see if the person can take on a team approach. You know, mm-hmm. do they kind of get in their own swim lane and do their own thing and, and, and not really look look out for others, you know. And so I, I really think that the business we're in, it, it, it lends itself very well to, to being a team player. So I look um, you know, to to just see if they can they can do that. They can be yeah. part of a team. They can contribute to you know as as a team member. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I ask them pra- practical situation questions. So so you know, depending on the situation, depending on the 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 you know job description that we have in front of us, and the position we're interviewing for. I just I just ask them how they um, would handle themselves and and. and Know, various situations, and 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 I and I usually follow up with a question that just ask them, you know, what has been something that you've um, faced in, in in your employment in the past that was challenging, and then what 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 have you done in your career that you're most proud of? And so, going throughout that that iteration of questions, I feel like that you get to know someone, and you you get to see if they can fit into your culture. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, in the five years you've been there, you've seen people come and go. And what what differentiates those that stay in your organization? Well, you know, our, I talked about our goals and, and our metrics, and so goal number one is retention because mm-hmm. I feel like that you you really have to keep talent on your team to achieve because as it if it comes and goes too much and you lose people to attrition and whatnot, you can't achieve the goals you set out to achieve. Right. So, like it's in a way. And, and, and so people move because of family members or job situations, significant others, et cetera. Um, but I really think that the people that have uh, stayed here and really excelled, the ones that, that came in, that um, learned our culture, and then wanted to be a part of something special and, and really own something bigger than, be a part of something bigger than them. You yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and so I think back earlier in my career working at the hospital setting, and, and, and it was something that I reflect back on in a real positive way. In 13 years of, of working for an organization, I was very proud of, and I always speak mm-hmm. very highly of them. So what I strive is that when people, um, you know, if they stay at Vital Care or if they move on to another opportunity, which I, we're always for positive turnover, but should that happen, I want them just to speak positively about the experience that they had here. Yeah. Yeah. The people that have stayed with you through the years and, you know, you know who they are, right? Those loyal folks who might have been there before you, but have only, you know, kind of grown in their loyalty. If, if you know, if someone ran into them at a cocktail party or at a church function and they were asked, you know, what's the real wow about vital care? What do you think they would say? I would say that um, the integrity of hmm. the, the, the fact that, um, you know, we exemplify integrity that we're a very transparent team. So it goes back to the measure not, improve not, and have goals. So we, you know, we, we know when we're, we're not, you know, meeting the mark and we know when we're exceeding it. So right. I really think it goes back to just, you know, a whole lot of integrity and there's a whole lot of transparency. Yeah. 
Cool. Last couple of questions. You've been very generous with your time, but I've got a couple more here. Um, you know, I know you. I know you get involved in interviewing, obviously, with people in your direct report. And my guess is you probably don't have a whole lot of holes in those organizations. Uh, hope you could reach out to us in case you ever did. But uh, let's say if you're interviewing somebody down the food chain, and you know your your schedule was tight that day, you may only have five or ten minutes. But you know your direct report really wants you to meet this person. He or she feels very strongly about them, and you know it's kind of meet the boss, meet the CEO. Um, but you have a limited amount of time. If if, if you did, you know, wh- what would you zero in on? What were what the one or two key questions that you'd ask that person with just a limited amount of time on your end? I asked them how they um, came to know about our organization. Mm. And I, I really uh, allow them the opportunity um, to talk instead of me talking at them, which in those situations, people are often nervous, I understand. Right. But, um, I found myself... Um, at times wanting to get a point across when really I want to just make myself available in that moment. And mm. if there's something that they want to ask me, that I give mm. them the opportunity to, to ask me the question. Um, so I've, I've, I've worked even here, here recently to, um, to be more open-ended and, and instead of saying, do you have any questions? Literally just say, what questions do you have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and begin with that. So I want to talk about what they find interesting, what they want to talk about and really, I think that everybody that's come to this organization and looked for a career and a job opportunity, um, you know, they had a couple of key questions that they needed answers to right. in order to make that change in their life. And so, uh, again, to be open and transparent, I think, is, is to, to be quiet and to, to listen and see what, um, you know, what they have to say. Yeah, and kind of demonstrates the servant leadership, which you haven't vocalized, but I can tell you are, you're that type of CEO. And yeah, I think you work from the assumption, gosh, if, uh, you know, he's, he or she is so well liked by my direct report, um, you know, uh, they don't need any further scrutiny from me. Is that a fair assumption? You know, you want to kind of give them an opportunity to learn more about you. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I yeah. think you say that very accurately. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Good. Last question, Ed. And again, once again, we so appreciate your time. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks that will be listening to this podcast. Many of them, like yourself, will be CEOs, middle market, maybe checking out the competition. Uh, others, of course, uh, probably, and most of them have an aspiring, aspiring desire to, to make it to the to the uh, corner office themselves. And, you know, those that are in the middle market or perhaps also in larger companies, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone maybe a decade or two behind you? you know, who has their eyes on the corner office and, you know, wants to uh, to get where you are? Always do right by your team. Um, always exemplify integrity. Um, I think that, that it's really important to, to show, show that, that loyalty to your team. Um, you know, that's on, a, that's on a team, you know, from a team dynamic, from a personal dynamic, you really have to be willing to put it all on the line, and 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 I don't want to sound overly severe, dramatic about that, but but you you know there is um, we talked about being humble, hungry, and smart, and so there's definitely a level of, of humility. But if you if you want to be a leader, um, you, you again if you don't want to be criticized, don't say anything, don't do anything, don't be anything. But to to be a leader, you have to be willing to to, to put it on the line and, and show that vulnerability. Um, and I think that's that's challenging um, at times, but it's something that um, I've tried to apply in my career and had good success with. And so, um, you know, it's worked well. But but again, I, I, I go back to, to where I started with, you know, always do right by your team, you know, and, and show that integrity to them. And, and, and they'll show integrity to, 
to um, the people that they interact with. So um, those that would be my kind of two pieces yeah. of advice on a, on a team level and then also on a personal level. Wonderful. Well, Ed Island, CEO of Vital Care, thank you once again for your time today. Thank you, Brent. It was a pleasure, and I appreciate you um, giving me your time. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.